0: Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Amy Alexander, the co-founder and executive director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, based in Franklin, Tennessee. This organization has experienced tremendous growth since its founding in 2005, and she's been there the entire time, so please join me in this session, this interview with Amy Alexander. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Corley. Just wanted to let you know, we are now sending out a weekly, very brief newsletter tips, tricks, pointers to nonprofit executives. That includes both board members and CEO's executive directors. If you're interested in receiving this, please go to thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter, and you can sign up. Once again, that's thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter. Well, welcome Amy Alexander to this episode of the i 501 one C U the podcast for nonprofit board members. Now, Amy is not a nonprofit board member, at least not in the context we're speaking about today. But she is a founder, co-founder, and she's also the executive director of a nonprofit. And that's why we're going to have Amy on. And Amy, so you are the executive director for the Refuge Center for Counseling. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And then I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the Refuge Center.
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. So um, I am Amy Alexander, and I have lived in this area since about 2001, and that's Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, My husband, Dan, and I have been married 18 years, and we've got three kids, 15-year-old son, 10-year-old son, 7-year-old daughter, And we love this town. We love the people here. We're very uh, engaged. And we we really see this as being the the forever home. My husband retired from football. He's in healthcare now, although he did a stint in nonprofit uh, five years with an agency where he also had a board of directors. And I've been here at the Refuge Center for 18 years. This is the beginning of year 18 for us. And Refuge Center started in 05. My dear friend Jennifer Gillette and I were... um, finishing the master's program in marriage and family therapy at Trevecca Nazarene university. And all of our peers were launching a private practice. That was just the thing to do. She and I both lived in Williamson County, which is a County known for its affluence and wealth and opportunity, but I've been in, um, uh, nonprofit world for a while previously as a case manager, a social worker. And so I was aware that there was a whole nother side to this community and very aware that if you go out and start a practice and you're charging, you know, 125 to 275 an hour, there's a whole demographic of people who will never be able to access your services. So we did um, a gaps analysis and found that there was a real gap in our community for a place that could serve the whole family at once, could do so on a sliding scale fee- scale based on income and would really shatter some of those stereotypes around nonprofit and really offer very excellent, high quality care, best clinicians, best technologies, really cutting edge stuff. So we opened our doors in December of 05. Our waiting room was full before the paint dried. And we've now provided over a quarter of a million counseling sessions for this community. We um, now are averaging around 37,000 counseling sessions per year for close to 4,400 people. And just quickly, you know, our mission is to offer excellent, accessible, affordable mental and emotional health care services in support of a transformational impact on community The things that we value are systemic health, affordability, excellence, being Christ-centered, faith, education, and hope. And just statistically, I think this is really interesting, 80% of our clients do use the sliding fee scale, 27% of our clients fall below the poverty line. So our waiting room is full of the most remarkable humans with the greatest stories, and, and many of them are coming for the same issues, right? So anxiety, depression, marital crisis, PTSD, whatever it may be, but uh, you know, 27% of them have very few options for care, 20% of our clients pay the full fee and could go anywhere, but choose refuge. And so it's just a, a really incredible mix of people in different walks of life who are struggling with the same things. But on average, our clients pay $55 a session and our cost is 88. So that gap is what we have to fundraise.
0: Ah, very good. So you've had, you've experienced tremendous growth and you said so much there. Let me go back to some of the beginning. So you decided to start your own things, So very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. W- why, what, and did you even know what you were doing?
1: No. No. I mean, I just want to be totally transparent about that. We had three founding board members who put such faith in us. We had a master's in marriage and family therapy. We knew how to be therapists, but here we opened the doors to our building and all of a sudden we're answering every call, taking every client that comes in, baking for the board meetings, uh, writing the strategic plans, cleaning the toilets, checking the mail, paying the deposit. I mean, we just, we had to do it all in the, in those early years. None of it was above us, you know, and there was, any money to hire out. So we had an incredible group of board members who put a lot of faith and trust in us, but really ultimately in, in Christ. But I remember one of our founding board members saying, hey, can, can you send me a copy of your business plan? And I look at Jen and we're quickly like Googling what is a business plan?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Too good. These are the best stories. Oh my gosh. So, so we, we, we talk a lot to nonprofit board members. That's one of the main thruster clients, if you will, of this podcast. Can you describe your board in the early days? You said there were three board members. Mm-hmm. Were, were they strategically selected or was it just three you found? Can you talk a, a little bit about back that back in the early days?
1: Yeah. Well, our, you know, our bylaws and requirements to the IRS called for a, a president, a treasurer, and a secretary. So those were the three positions we needed to fill and I had always heard that when you're looking for board members you want to look for the three w's right work wealth wisdom and no no one person might have all of those but somebody who can really invest some seed money in the organization or know others who can give and contribute to the mission um, so that would be the wealth the worker bees would be the ones who can contribute um, through hands-on skill-based volunteerism and then the wisdom is your kind of thought leaders in their Field, whether they be in HR, or attorneys, or whatever, who can add that value to the early days of the organization.
0: And, and back then, were you intimidated by a board by trying to manage that board as the executive director? No. And and so, can you talk a little bit? So the board has obviously grown as yes, the organization you've grown. You, Twenty board members now. Twenty board members. So can you talk a little bit? If you, if you can go back, the different plateaus you may have hit throughout, you know, from a growth perspective as an organization and and the role the board played on that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So early on, you've got two therapists who are also trying to run the place and no other staff or, and certainly no other senior level leadership. So what we found is that we, we depended on board members to essentially be volunteer-based senior level leaders. So, I mean, we brought on a board member with an expertise in marketing and she's literally helping us write our press releases or design a website. We brought on a board member who is an executive in HR and she's helping us draft our first policies. So again, the the board really functioned as senior level leadership, even though they weren't on site. And that's, that's just all we could afford. And thank God that those people stepped up to the plate at that time.
0: And then as a, as you continue to grow as an organization mm-hmm. how has the role of the board evolved Sure
1: sure. Well, year by year, month by month, you know, our budget allows us to now add staff who can oversee development, marketing operations. And so the board begins to, in a really healthy way, step back from the day to day stuff and they become a little bit more, um, operationally focused, sort of that high level governance, making sure that financials are being reviewed, that we're making good strategic decisions, that strategic planning is being done frequently. Um, and and really, the board began to shift more towards uh, essentially awareness and fundraising. Um, and so that became the primary focus of the board. We created several specific committees, a marketing committee, an annual fund committee, a capital fund committee, and a culture committee. So we have board members engaged um, in in those areas specifically.
0: And so how many board members do you think you've had over the years?
1: Well, guess. We, we our bylaws have always allowed for 20 and they can serve three year or six year terms. The majority of them have done the three and that's over 18 years. So, I mean, the math on that is a couple hundred probably.
0: And, and as you reflect on those board members, from an executive director perspective, from your perspective, what makes an effective board member?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can answer that pretty succinctly. Um, for me, and again, everyone has different needs. And and one thing to remember for an executive director is that they get a new boss every 12 months. If, if your bylaws call for a new board president every year, then we get a new boss every 12 months. So I think an awareness just for board members to understand um you know, once a year, we're recalibrating to your expectations and how frequently you like to receive communication and how much detail you want. So that's an adjustment. And honestly, I think if if bylaws at nonprofits could ideally allow maybe two and three-year terms, now that's not a great thing when the, the right person's not in that seat. But um, it just helps on the adjustment in for an executive director. But, but I would say for me, a great board member is responsible responsive. That means that they do respond to my emails or phone calls, and especially a call to action. Like, hey, guys, we need a corporate sponsor. We need you to fill a table. And they they take that seriously and know that if it goes out to 20 people, no, I'm still asking you. You know, this is this email isn't for someone else. Um, the next thing is engagement, that they do attend meetings for us. That's a an 80% rule. You need to be at 80% of meetings. We understand your kids are going to get sick and you're going to go on vacations. But that you you can't govern and make good decisions for the organization if you're not present at the meetings. And then that they're present at events. So speaking engagements, our golf tournament, our annual fundraiser, Hope Grows, our conference live intentionally. We need the board presence there to, to represent the organization. So responsiveness and engagement, the next thing I would say is focused. And what I mean by that is you can't do everything. So pick the thing that you're great at, you're already skilled in, you're already passionate about, and go deep with the organization in that way. So find an initiative that you can move the needle on and leave your 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 handprint in the cement. Like that's the thing you changed because of your three years at the Refuge Center. And then just that board members understand and are committed to that they have to raise awareness, create connections and fundraise.
0: Very good. So as you as you think about different board members, what makes an ineffective board member?
1: Well, the opposite of <laughs> those things. That they don't read the emails that are sent, or they don't weigh in and and think thoughtfully. Thoughtful, non automatic responses is something we talk about a lot. Um, that they're disengaged and they they don't take the role res- seriously. They don't they don't really understand the significance of the role and the decisions that are being made. Um, that they just try to give opinions on on little things, but stay at the surface, and they're not moving the needle for the organization. You know, we have a board member who's, um, a a VP at a bank and she just called me yesterday and said, Hey, February 7th, I got us an opportunity to go present to all of the bank presidents and uh, senior level leadership. And we're going to make a big ask that's moving the needle. Okay. And she did that all on her own through her own connections. Um, and, and so those would be a a few
0: things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I was just in a, a board meeting recently, uh, because I facilitate a lot of board retreats and the executive director asked me to to position a, a discussion around just because a board member doesn't make a, a suggestion, doesn't make it something you have to do, doesn't make it a good suggestion. And it's really what you said. It could be an, a, a, an inch deep it could be non-relevant but you know the board member thinks it's a good idea and so as an executive director you got to balance that
1: you do and and what can be hard or frustrating is to show up to a board meeting we have 8 per year And to feel like you present the needs and challenges of the organization and everybody at the table just offers tips that really create more work for you. Like, you should try this and you should try this. What we want is, hey, I've got a contact in that area. I'm going to make an email introduction and bring them for a connections lunch. Like, help me in this area. I I don't just need advice.
0: So when you're working with your board, how frequently do you communicate with each board member and how do you do that?
1: Um, I probably err on the side of, of more communication rather than less. Uh, we are a thriving, growing agency. We've gone from two people to now about 84 on our team. We're serving thousands of people a year. We we serve 17 counties. We've got a ton of strategic collaborative partnerships. I mean, the sky is kind of the limit. We're in the middle of a massive $12.7 million capital campaign. So I would say the board receives a couple of emails a week from me, updating them on various things that I feel like they should be dialed in on. And they're not all things I need a response on, but just, I want you to be aware. If I only brought information to them once a month at a board meeting, my report would be an hour and a half long. So,
0: Okay. And so now with your board chair, I assume you interact with him or her on a more regular basis?
1: Absolutely, probably weekly. Really, I mean that person generally has become my closest confidant and supporter. I'm I'm taking things to them that the rest of the board doesn't need to hear. Maybe a personnel issue, HR. Kind of a hey, I'm at a fork in the road and could really use some wisdom. For me, that's a very collaborative relationship, and those are those are friends by the end of that term, right? I mean, they have really become my partner that 12 months. Um, And the so for us, the executive committee committee meets monthly. We have lunch together. And again, I bring a lot more detail to them and then they pair that down for what the full board needs at the meeting. And then we also have a finance meeting once a month that the treasurer is at, she reviews the profit and loss, the balance sheet, and then she sends that out on behalf of the organization with her
0: notes. What time do you think you spend or your staff spends preparing for a board meeting? Um, to send out the board packet and to. Yeah probably not more
1: than a couple of hours.
0: Okay. No. So you've got it down to a science, it sounds like, because I know a lot of folks spend quite a bit more time.
1: No. Mm -mm. I I would not spend more time than that. Not at the stage we're in with the amount of people we have. And again, I, I communicate more frequently. This isn't the first time they're hearing from me in 30 days.
0: And I think that's a critical point for those of you who are listening, executive directors, the communication is a tremendous opportunity to to streamline the efforts around the board meetings because you've already shared the information beforehand. And that's it, time consuming, but you just got to do it, right, Amy? I mean, it's just one of those things you have to make time to do.
1: They're an extension of the team here. They're, they're a part of the team. And so I, I want them to feel engaged. The other thing is that, so one kind of nuance about refuge culture is um, culture, culture is the thing here. It's the main mm. thing, the relationships, the connection. Um, and so every year we have a theme for the year. This year, the theme is play. We're, we're balancing the scales from those three years of hard. So on the fourth Tuesday of the month, the, the first half of the day, we do an activity that relates to the theme for the year. So this year it's play. So we're going to do collaging, artful cooking, um, creating journal meditations. And I invite board members to come in and be a part of those mornings with us once a month it's a great way for them to interact with the staff in a less formal way we also have um board members are assigned a senior staff person for the year and they're to take them to lunch shoot them a five dollar starbucks gift card send them an encouraging note thank them for their work and you know building that level of relationship and the trust um, it's just it matters so much
0: well, there's so much here. This is really good stuff. So to engage the board, and I assume you've learned this over the years. Maybe this isn't how you operated 15 years ago. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so this is your way of managing the board. So if you're speaking to another executive director, what are some tips you give them about how to, and I'm doing air quotes, manage the board? Because really it is the executive director's job. Yes, you have a board chair, but in reality, you're the day-to-day person. You've got to manage that board. What What advice do you give them?
1: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is have a really good strategic plan. So we bring in a consultant every year from in in our area. It's the Center for Nonprofit Management. We've been using the same consultant since 2008. He he really is a part of our team at this point. His name is Brad Gray. He's phenomenal. And um, so he comes in. We do a day-long board retreat. And we're looking at not just the staff initiatives, but also what is the board going to do that only the board can do? And those become board goals. Um, and so I think that strategic plan continues to guide our focus, our attention, our time, and our discussions.
0: Okay. So now you have a board, but you also have a partnership council. We do. Can you do. share the dif- why you created a partnership council and the difference between the two?
1: Mm-hmm. So in the early years, we had a board, and then we had an advisory board. And what I found is something I referenced earlier, which is the advisory board was filled with wonderful thought leaders who were experts in their field. We'd meet quarterly, and I ended up with pages of advice and more to do. And that just wasn't helpful for me. So I attended a training um, that's based off of the book, Let's Have Lunch. And this author recommends a partnership council. And I have used it more loosely than he recommends it, but Partnership Council, this is very specific. These are people in the community who commit to up to 25 hours a year in their area of expertise to advance the organization's mission. You can sign up in one-year increments and um, it becomes a feeder system. So we get a year to watch you and see if you'd be a good board member, and then maybe you join the board. Board members who finish their term and can't stay engaged at that level can also come down to the Partnership Council. So it works both ways. And our Partnership Council is made up of people who are experts in marketing and financial planning and those kinds of things. And sometimes they're directly blessing our clients with their services, and sometimes it's more um, for the organization as a whole. But that model has been outstanding
0: for us and how long ago did you create that
1: um it's probably been close to a decade
0: (laughs) okay and then how just share with the group how did you even get it started i mean you so you go to you listen to somebody you read a book oh man great idea but then how do you how, how do you effectuate it
1: Well, I mean, um, a couple of things. So I'm having lunch with people all the time, kind of always vetting for potential board members, keeping that pipeline strong. And sometimes you meet someone who is just remarkable and you know that you love their wisdom, their network, but they're going, you know, listen, listen. I travel, I'm a CEO, I'm on the road all the time. I can't commit to the board level type of engagement, but I sure could, I could commit to this. That's two hours a month or a couple of events a month where I think I can really help you advance the mission. Um, The other thing is that we have a large intern program. So we have 24 masters and doctoral level interns every semester from 13 universities. And you think of maybe there's a stereotype about an intern. We end up with a lot of second career folks. They were an attorney 20 years they were a pastor for 20 years um cpa change of life right different circumstances they've decided to go back and get their masters in counseling well now two years later they've launched their private practice in brentwood and but but you're awesome in your first round of you know career so i'm coming back to you for partnership counsel, and you had a great experience at refuge
0: Well, and that's actually how we got to know each other. My sister-in-law is yes. on her second career and, and interning over at your place as she finishes up her master's and going to become an employee of yours. I'm, I'm very right. proud of her and she speaks so highly of the experience there. So Amy, you ought to pat yourself on the back because she, she really does. And so as you reflect on the board over the years, how have you strategically used the board to help you accomplish your mission? Do you have any examples of that?
1: Well, I think you just have to look at our strategic plan. And in three-year increments, we're asking board members to, again who do you know, how can you connect us? And one thing that board members have could get and have gotten confused on over the years is they think it's their job to actually make the asks. And sometimes it needs to be a board member, but we've tried to explain over and over again, just connect us to the right people. And then it's my job or the development director's job to ask actually ask for money. So if if you'll just make the connections, we'll go in and, and sit in front of them and make an appeal.
0: You can't yell that loudly enough. As I shared, I work with a number of boards and that's always the hesitation. And somebody says, I don't want to ask for money. I'm like, oh my goodness, you shouldn't have to ask for money. That's the executive director or or the chief development officer's responsibility, but create those connections. And that's easy. Mm -hmm. Those introductions.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a board member who was the director of communications for the city of Franklin, and one of the practical things she could do is, as we needed visibility on our capital project at different stages, she could connect us to local reporters and help us get stories out. So, I mean, find your thing you're already good at that's your day-to-day, and then how do you use that to to move the needle for the mission of the organization?
0: So, you mentioned earlier several committees that you have on the board. How do you as the executive director interact with those committees? How involved are you? Do you attend the meetings? Can you just share a little bit about your allocation of time and involvement?
1: In a in an ideal world, I'd love to be on all those Zoom calls, but it's it's just not Uh, possible. I do try to ask them if they need any information from me in advance, you know, most current report on stats, financials, um, where are we at year to date with this or that. So I try to equip them to have um, educated conversations. And then certainly I I ask for minutes if those were taken, but I
0: I cannot be in all those meetings. Well, this is important because you delegate that then obviously to somebody and you had to make that decision along the line somewhere and said to yourself, oh my gosh, I've got to give up some control and delegate this. So, yeah. so who runs those meetings and how do you ensure that they don't go rogue?
1: So it is the committee chair and that's a board, mem- uh, board member and they have usually opted in, say, said, I'll do it. I'd love to take the lead on this or sometimes they get nominated by their peers. Um, but it's really important for board members to feel a lot of ownership around their role and then to step in and take initiative. And, and frankly, I think it's really healthy that I'm not there because then they can own it and run with it.
0: Well, I'm asking these questions for, for several reasons. So I've got a, a number of clients and that's a challenge is the, the letting going, allow it, you know, trusting people to, to, to do the work, right. And that you're not going to be at every meeting being able to direct everything. But uh, that so- word
1: trust is key. And you can't trust people that you're not in relationship with. And so you have to get to know your board members as people. Is their mother sick? You know, have their kids been struggling? I mean, I am constantly getting texts from board members saying, hey, this just happened in my family. wife was diagnosed with cancer this week, lost my mom. I mean, th- these are actual this week stories. Um, I love these people, and they are so for me. And I don't just want them to come in and produce and perform. I want this to be a relationship that extends, you know, the the history of refuge.
0: Amy, then can you tell me, so to build relationship, you've got to know somebody, you've got to have some interaction with them. So can you take us through the process of identifying a potential board member, getting to know him or her, getting them on the board and then any orientation process?
1: You know, best case scenario is that as a board member is completing their term, they are nominating other candidates. Yeah, because they know the culture, they know what we're looking for. There's a what we call a borrowed attachment or, you know, we can trust this new person through you because we trust you. And so that's typically best case scenario.
0: And then talk through the process. So somebody says, yeah, I know somebody. Is it time with Amy? Is it time with the board chair? Is there a committee? How, how does that recruiting happen?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of structure there. So step one is to attend a Connections lunch. So for us, two Tuesdays a month, we invite people in from our community from 12 to 1. We provide a free lunch. We give a tour of the, the agency. You meet staff members. You watch a video with a client story, and we get to know one another. It's a, it's a nice comprehensive view of the organization. I provide something called an intro to refuge packet. It's got our yearly events. It's got our organizational chart, our growth patterns. So they're getting a lot of information information in that one hour if we like what we see and it feels okay then you you and i are going to have a one-on-one we're going to go to lunch or coffee i'm going to get to know you more just as a person and why this is a good fit why is it a good season in your life to say yes to something like this that's critical um Because I make no bones about the fact that this is an engaged board. I I don't need you to show up once a quarter and thumbs up and thumbs down stuff. That's not what I'm looking for. So then they meet with the board chair. And then if there's a recruitment committee at the time, they meet with them. And then finally, the board receives an application and a resume and a vote is taken.
0: And then, how do you orient somebody once they've been we selected? We
1: have a full orientation, and that orientation includes your enneagram assessment. It includes uh, various board members coming in to talk about the history of the organization, the role of a board member, and we do those annually.
0: So, at what point? Uh, I'm. Mean, you can see Reed and I are chuckling because wow, you've really, you've you really got a smooth and a confident process down. So. Take us back. It's 2005 to now. At what point do you think you got where you said, this is exactly how I want this process to be and how I want the board to, to come on board and and the culture related to the board.
1: I mean, I'm not sure that there was a moment in time. I, I think I'm I'm a I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm constantly looking for ways to improve things and make them more efficient. And I think we're just always looking at how can this be better. And it doesn't, It it's not a straight line. I mean, de- depending on the organizational stage and history and where we're going, we need different types of people at the table. And one of the things we said this past year was we want a strategic focus on increasing diversity, um, racial diversity diversity, age diversity, gender diversity. we need more women, female leaders on this board. And so then we're not going to fill a spot until we find somebody that um, can add that to the table. It'll sit open until we find the right person.
0: So very you're very strategic about selecting board members.
1: Yes, and let me take you back to what I would say a few of my biggest mistakes were early on. Two things that I tell everybody who asks me about a nonprofit board. The first one is do not just fill your board with friends and family members. It's a horrible idea, and it's easy because your brother-in-law, Joseph, is a CPA, and he'd be the great treasurer, and he loves you, and he loves the mission. But now when it's time for Joseph to vote on your salary— and you don't like his decision, that makes Thanksgiving real real tense. So in, in therapy, we think about the the hindrance of a dual relationship, and it goes the same for board members. I mean, I just rarely think that's going to work out in the long run. So you need to find people who you do have some affiliation with and trust in, but don't fill it with your best friends and family members. You just want to keep that separate.
0: Wise advice. Go 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 ahead.
1: Well, no, that was just that's just so important. And then for me, the second thing was I waited too long to bring in a board member and a staff member with HR expertise. And so many of the mistakes that I think I made. I'm a therapist by trade, and gosh, I just am very patient with the human process. I see you in context of your trauma. I feel like if we just keep talking about it, it's going to get better. So I hung on to employees and situations way longer than I should have. And I needed an HR firm to come in and say, this is ridiculous. It is time to enact a performance improvement plan. It's time to terminate. We're going to be there with you to do it. And so unless HR is your background, if you're an executive director, bring on HR as early as you can.
0: Oh, very good. Very good. Wise advice there. And I'm chuckling because that happens in the for-profit sector all the time. We just keep people, we, we've got a saying that if, if if you want it more than they do, that that's a problem. You know, if you want them to succeed more than they do, that really a problem. Yeah. So, so the, the board over the years has, has ebbed and flowed. It's it sounds like you're at a really good space with it. Where does it go from here? Mm-hmm. What are you? What are your visions for your board?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think. I value a collaborative process. I don't like to make decisions alone in a silo. I think that there's a lack of wisdom in that. There's some research that says we all need four to seven people in our life who are our blind spot checkers. There are iron sharpens iron people. And I count the board as as that for me. I want people who can say hard things and and question this decision and push back. And so I think keeping a diversity of opinions. So we've got some board members who are entrepreneurs. They've taken companies public they're really comfortable with risk and then we have some very fiscally conservative board members and so when I ask hey you know what do you guys think about adding a couple more offices hiring a few more people I get some pretty different opinions and it's a respectful tone but I don't just want people who agree with me so right now we are moving into we hope to break ground on um, a project we've been working on for a decade and we hope to break ground March 1st again I mentioned it's a 12 point million undertaking. We still have quite a bit to fundraise. But um, I think this is a new chapter for Refuge. I think the visibility that it will bring us and the opportunities it will bring us. And so I I would say I am at this stage looking for board members who are really comfortable with the, the level up. Who you know don't mind that we're not the same as we've always been? How do we protect what matters the most? But yeah, let's go for it. Let's try some things.
0: Oh, wonderful! Now let me ask you this question, and this will be—we'll start to wind down here. But as you look back and reflect, because you've taken it from zero dollars to whatever your budget is now, tremendous growth. What have been some of the biggest challenges?
1: Different things in different seasons. I think I, I referenced for me what has been one of the biggest challenges, and that's making the really hard HR decisions, again, because of my background. And so having board members to say, God, your gut's right on this. You need to do the hard thing. I just have valued that tremendously. Um You know, in the last couple of years, we've seen a shortage in the workforce that we need. I think most industries have. There's a way higher demand for our services than we've had the workforce, especially a workforce that can come in and serve in a nonprofit setting at that pay rate and those type of benefits. So that's been a huge space and a challenge. And then space has been a challenge for us. Um, We have 84 people sharing um, 34 offices. We're open 75 hours a week, and so we just try to maximize efficiency. But I would say workforce, HR, fundraising, and space.
0: I can imagine. I can only imagine. It's probably not going to get any easier, except maybe with this new building. That'll help things out.
1: Yeah. You know, with the growth projections for our county, I, I think the wait list is a thing that's here to stay. And and we'll just have to be comfortable with that. But we have a lot of exciting opportunities around telehealth and strategic partnerships with other agencies. And so it's, it's good. It's a good season.
0: Well, I, if there are people who are listening and I do have, uh, I was sharing with Amy, I'm from Franklin. I know right where her office is. I lived about a mile away back in the day. The whole family's still up there. If there are people listening that are interested in the refuge center, how do they get in touch with you or how do they learn more about it?
1: Sure. I'd be glad to go ahead and give my personal email address. That's amy.alexander at therefugecenter.org. Our website is refugecenter.org. On that site, you've got all kinds of, if you want to intern, if you want to be a board member, if you're interested in learning about our services or our fee scale, so all that's on there. And then we have a really neat YouTube channel, which showcases a lot of client stories from over the years, about three minutes long each, but if you just want to hear some stories. So I would say some Sign up for a Connections Lunch, refugecenter.org slash lunch. Come tour, meet our team members, and get to know us. Finally, our, our Hope Grows event is April 18th at Rolling Hills Community Church. And so we'd love to have you join us as a table sponsor and come on out and attend the event.
0: Amy Alexander, that is absolutely wonderful. You have really, uh, hopefully, you've had a chance to take a step back and take a lot of pride in what you've you've accomplished. A lot of business entrepreneurs don't do what you've done, taking something from $0 to here we are 18, 19 years later, and you've really taken a foothold in Franklin, Tennessee. It's a well-respected organization. And just listening to you, it sounds very well-oiled. So congratulations to you, and thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you. And if I may, I would just say it's the privilege of a lifetime to steward a community. It's the privilege of a lifetime and refuge is a community. And and the bottom line is that it doesn't really matter how big our building is or how many people we serve if we didn't love each other along the way. So, you know, every day we want this to be a community of authentic love and care for our team members and our clients. And then whatever size we get to, that's fine. But, you know, there's a quote that says, let us tend to the depth of our ministry and let God tend to the breadth of our ministry. And that's what we're about.
0: Well, Amy Alexander, Co-Founder and Executive Director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, thank you for your time today, and thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. Well, that was a fun interview with Amy Alexander, the Co-Founder and Executive Director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, and that is in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. Very, very impressive, and here we are, recapping with Reed to get Reed's insight He was listening during the entire conversation. So, Reid, share with us some of your observations. Usually we go three points. We can do that again today.
2: What's number one? Number one would be you have to get to know your board members as people. You have to create that relationship, and that can only be done through time and effort. But really getting to know your board members as people is extremely valuable.
0: Well, it is, and it sounds like she spends a lot of time trying to do that, and it's throughout the tenure of the board member. So I commend her for that because that takes time, and a lot of us just think, oh, my gosh, I don't have the time to do that. So that was really impressive. She really takes that to heart. What about number two?
2: Number two, I love her concept of the partnership council as a way for a board recruitment pipeline, but also as a way for board members to stay engaged after their term limits have come and passed. And so the partnership council, they just commit up to 25 hours per year in their area of expertise and just to help advance the organization's mission. I think that that is awesome. It's a great way to get new board members. We always hear about how hard it is to recruit new board members, but what if you can walk them into it? You know, it's a foot in the door mentality. You, You don't have to have them fully commit to eight board meetings a year for them, for example, but just 25 hours per year and you can get to know them, build the relationship and then take it from there.
0: Yeah, agreed, and I think the value there, and my observation is it gives a role for former board members, and so many times when somebody rolls off of a board, they're no longer involved because there's no way to stay tethered to the organization, which is a
2: shame. All right, and number three. For Amy, a great board member is responsive, engaged, focused, they raise awareness, they create connections, and they fundraise.
0: Well, and I'd say it's for more than Amy. I'd say it's a, any executive director or CEO. So, But she eloquently stated that. Great observation, Reed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is recapping with Reed. Three points from our conversation with Amy Alexander. I'm Michael Corley from the I-501C, the podcast for nonprofit board members. And I look forward to talking with you next week.